Welcome to the sermon podcast of First Church of Christ, where our goal is to lead generations into a life-changing, ever-growing relationship with Jesus Christ. We pray that you are encouraged and challenged by today's message. So we're in week two of this new series called Stages Good Grief. And if you missed last week, I'd encourage you to go back because kind of give you an overview. And also we talked about the first stage of grief that hits us um, when we are confronted with the news of a loss that we didn't see coming. Um, see, we all experience losses in everyday life. And some of us, maybe we're in a season where we're not uh, really confronted face to face with a loss right now, but we know that it's just a matter of time that we will be confronted with those things. And so as followers of Jesus, I want us to be prepared. And for those of you who don't follow Jesus yet, I want you to see that following Jesus makes you uh, not only experience freedom in this life now and for eternity, but it also helps when you are dealing with grief, the loss of things. Um, and here's the thing. Um, last week we talked about shock and denial. When you uh, are, when the, when the dust settles and you are past the shock and the denial stage of grief, when that news starts to seep in, what's followed after that is the expression, expression of emotions. And a lot of times it's anger. And what I want to do today is to, to show you that that's natural and how to do it in a way that you don't sin. Because scripture says, in your anger, do not sin. So you can actually be angry and not sin, um, but also give us a path forward as we are endeavor to go through grief in a way that results in some good in the end. Um, I can remember back, um, this has been several years now, probably nine years ago, um, Sarah and I, we had uh, recently, um, it's been, it had been months that we had moved uh, into a part-time role at a church in Cincinnati. We had left the church that we adored in Kentucky, a small little country church that we just loved those people. We were was a part-time youth minister, and Sarah and I would go down there on the weekends and serve and, and uh, just invest in the teams there in that community. Um, and we uh, got an opportunity to move uh, to uh, move our ministry, our part-time ministry, over to uh, Batavia, Ohio, which is just east of Cincinnati. And uh, at this point, there's a church plant. Very early on, um, we were meeting in a wedding reception hall. So I remember this day uh, very clearly. Um, it was a it was a sunny day. And, and it was a long day, y'all, because when you're in a church plant meeting portably, um, you have to set everything up early in the morning for you to be able to uh, do a church service. So we were there and, and getting all these chairs set up, kind of reminiscent. We were adding some uh, a row in the back during service. I don't know if you guys noticed that. We added that uh, just now. And, and so it was kind of like, oh, back in the day, you know, we did this all the time. Um, don't want to do that again. Um, <laughs> um, but... Uh, it was, it was exhausting. You gotta set up the stage. You gotta set up the lights, the, the, the sound system, all the children's ministry stuff. It's all portable. You're setting up, you're tearing it down. And so, and it was a good day. Like, I was spending time with the teens. We were, we were talking about Jesus and having a good discussion. I felt like it went really well. And, and the, the service was great. It was, it, there was a lot of people there and, and people heard about Jesus and that was great. It was a great day. But that didn't prepare me. It didn't help me see what was coming when we were out in the parking lot. Sarah and I. Um, after that, after a great day of ministry, we're walking outside and we're walking to our car, talking to the lead pastor there that we were serving under in Kenny. And he, um, he said something there that we didn't, we didn't anticipate. He said, Hey, um, there's no really easy way to say this. Um, but the leadership team, I think 
is going to be deciding that um, it's not working out, that we're going to have to let you go. Uh, and he cited, you know, some financial issues with the church. You know, being a church plant, you know, it's the financial struggles are real. Um, and also, you know, my time, my availability for time had changed because it was in that season of life where we found out that Sarah was pregnant with our first uh, child, Kyrea, and and it was exciting, but we were both un- traditional undergrad students at Cincinnati Christian University. And so uh, that was a different little, you know, wrinkle in the situation. And so as a husband and as a almost dad, right? As a, as a almost dad, I felt like I, me doing full-time school like this and working part-time for a church, it, it just wasn't going to be enough to be able to support not just me and Sarah, but me, Sarah, and a little one. And so I made the tough decision. I had to work it out with the school and I, I got transferred from undergrad where I, all my, all my classes were during the day and in the morning and pretty much all day took up everything, uh, to, I transferred into the adult learning program at CCU. Uh, so basically I was in the evenings now and so that opened up some free time. So I was doing school full time. I got that worked out and then I got a job at a bank in Cincinnati. So I was working banking and I had worked banking back here in Fort Wayne. So that seemed to be a good fit. So I was going to school full time during the day, going or going to going to work full time during the day, going to school full time during the evening. And then also in the evenings and on the weekends, part time youth ministry. And for those of you who've not worked in the church, you have to know that there really isn't such thing as part time ministry. It's just you get paid less. And so um, the situation gets a little bit trickier because Um, he tells us this and once we get to the point, past the point of being in shock and like, what in the world just happened? We're going to be like, go like, we just, we just got here. Like it's not even been very long. I've been doing good. And, and so we had to take the the drive from the east side of Cincinnati. They've got a 275 loop. It's just like 469, the interstate that goes around the city. And we're 10 minutes east of that. We had to go on the west side of Cincinnati in Price Hill. That's where we were living. And so it was a 45 minute drive. So during the, the walk after we got that news and on the drive home, the, the, the shock started dis- to dissipate. And I started and Sarah started to become aware of what was really happening. And y'all have to admit, I got really angry. The Christian version of that is frustrated. (laughs) No, no, I was angry. Sarah was angry. Because to make matters worse, not only had we gone through these transitions and trying to do our best to, to juggle all of it, because I was, I had a lot, a full plate. But we had also already put, given notice to our rental in Price Hill, and we had already set up a townhouse on the east side to be closer to the church because we felt like, man, it, we feel like we're living two different lives because we're not in the community. So we had already made these commitments. We had already done this. We're like, we're, we're, we're here, and if y'all would pay me full time, I'd be here, you know? But that's not what was on the table. What was on the table is me losing that part-time role and us moving to that side of the of town and then being 30 minutes 40 minutes away from school and it was just what in the world's going to happen so i'm getting angry i'm getting frustrated and i'm i'm expressing that and i'm like how dare they do this what in the world this is out and like yo you're having financial issues i know how much i cost it's not a lot <laughs> like for real i know how much i cost and it's not a lot and my timing, well, I've got a baby on the way. What am I supposed to do? 
Right. And so I'm frustrated at, at Kenny. I'm frustrated at the leadership team. I'm like, what in the world? I've, I, I went from a great setup in Kentucky. Now I'm over here and I thought this was working out. And four or five months later, this is the news. Really? Have you ever been in the spot like that? Where you get news of a loss or a potential loss and you, you get past the shock and it turns to anger. See, as a personality type for me, Anger is not something that's, that's foreign to me. I had to do a lot of work over the years to not be the way I used to be. Jesus changed my heart quite a bit. But in that moment, I was really angry. See, um, when we experience loss, when we go into grief, anger is a very natural response to loss. We're angry that they're gone, that loved one who passed away. We're angry about that. Because it ought not to be that way. We're angry about the relationship that's changed or has gone away. We're angry at the, the, the marriage that's now no longer a marriage. We're angry at the, the fact that we either don't have a job anymore or we got news that we weren't going to be having that job. We, we get angry about the loss of a future that we, that we could see two minutes earlier that now we cannot even begin to imagine and now it's fearful and we don't know what to expect we get angry at the loss of a way of life the loss of plans because it didn't work out that way anger anger is a natural response when we're grieving but in our anger we should not sin so that's what we're going to talk about today but to give you a little nice little bow on the story that i just introduced you to um Instead of letting us go, um, a few weeks later, uh, they decided to, instead of letting me go, to hire me full time. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. And I was there for a total of about six and a half years, and it was fruitful and beautiful, and uh, it, was, it was amazing. But uh, it was not without its ups and downs. And, uh, yeah, I'm not bitter about it. <laughs> but, you know, it's not just anger that starts to roll in. It's an assortment of emotions. You may, not, you may not, like, be angry right away, but maybe it's something different. Maybe it's just disdain. Maybe it's despair. Maybe it's you, you start getting frantic and, and anxious and you, you get panicky. Um, once the shock starts to wear off, emotions are going to roll in, and it's natural, and so I want us to be prepared for it. Now, here's the thing. I want us to keep in mind as we go through this Stages of Good Grief series is that um, we are going through it in one, two, three, four, five, this five stages of grief in order, but your experience of it may not go in that order. You may not even experience every stage, and you may feel like you got through a stage and you go back to that stage. And like today, you may be in stage two and tomorrow you're in stage four. You're in anger today, tomorrow you're depressed. Today, this morning, you may be angry. At lunchtime, you may be depressed. Grief is a complicated stew of experience. And, and so don't feel like, okay, today I'm in stage one. I'm just, I know I'm in shock, which you wouldn't say that because you're in shock. But okay, now today we're going to enter into stage two. I'm going to get all my anger out. And that way I can move to stage three tomorrow. Bargaining. 
Because I really want to just get through this. That's not how it works. You have to give yourself a little bit more patience and a lot more grace as you go through grief. So um, as we get started today in the second stage of grief, um, understand uh, you may not go one, two, three, four, five. You may go bouncing around like a pinball. Um, but it's important to understand that this is a natural process. Job chapter 7 is where we're going to be. So if you uh, have a Bible, turn to Job chapter 7. If you get to the Psalms right in the middle, hang a left, you'll be right there uh, in Job chapter 7. Um, Job chapter 7, starting in verse 11. This is what, this is what it says. Job says this, Therefore... I will not restrain my mouth. You ever been there? Welling up inside of you? Therefore, I will not restrain my mouth. I will speak in the anguish of my spirit. I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. Am I the sea or a sea monster that you keep me under guard? When I say, my bed will comfort me and my couch will ease my complaint. You know, let me take a nap. I'm going to watch some Netflix. Because sometimes when I watch the reality TV shows, it makes me feel better about my own life, right? (laughs) When I say, my bed will comfort me and my couch will ease my complaint, then you frighten me with dreams and terrify me with visions so that I prefer strangling death rather than life in this body. I give up. I will not live forever. Leave me alone, for my days are a breath. What is a mere human that you think so highly of him and pay so much attention to him? You inspect him every morning and put him to the test every moment. Will you ever look away from me or leave me alone long enough to swallow? If I have sinned, what have I done? You watcher. Of humanity. Why have you made me your target so that I have become a burden to you? Why not forgive my sin and pardon my iniquity? For soon I will lie down in the grave. You will eagerly seek me, but I will be gone. If you don't know the story of Job, um, it's helpful to understand where Job is in this process, in this stage, in this moment. Job, um, by all accounts, in comparison to other people, he was a righteous man. Um, And Satan came to God and said, hey, bet you I can get him to curse you. And God allowed Satan to test Job. And what he decided to do is take away everything that was near and dear to Job. His kids, his well-being, his ability to make money, his cattle and all that, all of it. His houses, his property, gone. All of it. Now, he left Job's wife. I don't know what that says. You know, one plus one equals two. I don't know, you know. But outside of that, Job had lost everything. 
And as you can imagine, he's deeply mourning and deeply grieving the fact that everything he loved almost is gone. Is gone. And, you know, in, in this in this moment, uh, Job had his friends, his friends showed up because they heard what had happened. And they were there, and for the first number of days, they were silent. They were just there with Job. They were just present, just like we talked about yesterday or last week. That you can just, just your presence, you don't need to say stuff. Because if you say something and make it better, just be there. Eh, there's going to be some times to start talking, but right now, just be there. Well, Job's friends did a good job. They don't get enough credit. But then things changed. Because they did what we oftentimes do. They started to try and explain away what happened. Tried to, well, it must have been something that caused this to happen. Job, you must have done some kind of sin. You, you must need to repent of something you've done. And this is not going well then. For Job processing his grief. Because what had happened was not because of something he did. And so Job is, as you can tell, in a moment of anguish and frustration and let's just call it anger. Now, is Job speaking to his friends or to God? Well, I think he's talking to both. Because this is in the midst of a conversation Job is having with his friends. And based on what it says in the text, it seems like God is saying, or Job is saying this to God. And to his friends. It's an observed prayer. Of frustration and anger. To God. And Job is not holding back. Have you ever been there where everything inside of you. Because of what you've gone through. Because of what you lost. Tells you that God. Seems to not be near. This is what C.S. Lewis. I introduced you to his book last week. Called A Grief Observed. Um, He gets really brutally honest y'all. Kind of uncomfortably honest. This is what he says as he's mourning the, the loss and grieving the loss of his wife. Go to him when your him as in God. Go to him when your need is desperate, when all other help is vain, and what do you find? A door slammed in your face, and a sound of bolting and double bolting on the inside. After that, silence. Doesn't start out the way it starts out. The, oh yeah, go to, go to him when everything else is, has left you. When you can't find any hope in anything else, go to God. And yet, when you do that, what do you find? A door slammed in your face, in silence. We can be honest. Some of us have been there. When that is our experience, when we're so frustrated, we're so angry. And we're going through something that we cannot hold on to ourselves. We cannot deal with it ourselves. And it feels like God is gone. Or that God doesn't care. And God's not interested in being with us in the midst of this pain. And for C.S. Lewis, a renowned theologian, writer. (laughs) That was his experience too. It's almost like anger is a common response to grief. Now, he's honest with God. He's pretty edgy with him. I mean, look at, look at what Job says, verses 13 to 16. 
When I say my bed will comfort me and my couch will ease my complaint, if only I could just get some relief in the ways I usually get relief. And if only I could cope in the way that I usually cope. I can go to sleep. I can go hang out on the, on the couch and just relax. But then you frighten me with dreams and terrify me with visions so that I prefer strangling death rather than life in this body. I give up. I will not live forever. Leave me alone for my days are a breath. Y'all, um, if, if you get anything from this, get this. When you are in deep darkness and you feel that, you need not keep it in. Talk to someone. Job gave voice to those deep, dark thoughts. And you need not shower shame upon yourself when you feel that way. You can go to God to find grace and find mercy and find peace. Sometimes it doesn't feel that way. And sometimes you are in the depths of grief so much that that seems like the only right answer. I just want to encourage you, talk to someone if you ever find yourself there. Don't hold that in. Don't keep it over in the corner because it won't stay there, y'all. Don't brush it under the rug. It won't stay there. Don't try and stuff it deep down because as it goes deep down, it will start to infiltrate your heart and your soul. You can give voice, you can bring light to those thoughts. But for Job, what normally comforted him, it didn't suffice anymore. It didn't, it didn't fix it. It, didn't, it wasn't, wasn't enough. And so when God seems far away, what do you do? Well, we do need to get honest with God when we, he seems far away. And if you struggle with putting words to what you're saying, then you can go to Scripture. And there's plenty of accounts in Psalms and Job and Lamentations of people experiencing that very same thing and writing about it. Say, so, Lord, I don't know what else to say, but this right here is my prayer. Because this is how I feel. Um, for, for a lot of us, you know, uh, when we go through difficult things in life, Life can sometimes feel like, a, like we are a pressure cooker, an instant pot. Anybody got some instant pots at home? Pressure cooker? You know, raise your hand. Come on. Okay. Like four of you. Cool. It's not super quick, by the way, just so you know. Like instant pots, not so instant. Um, but be that as it may. Uh, a pressure cooker, here's the thing you should know. If you ever do get, to get an instant cook, instant pot, whatever, pressure cooker, you need to, fellas, Read the instructions, okay? It's not something to mess around with, okay? It's not something, let me just, let me just operate this how I think it's going to work. No, don't do that. It could be a very violent mess and maybe somebody get hurt. Because what happens in a pressure cooker? On the outside, everything looks fine, right? It's just fine. It's just, it's there. It's on. There's a little digit thing and, you know, counting down time and all this stuff. A little red thing. It's fine. You know, it's all good. But, um, if you tried to open the, the, the lid, to that pressure cooker in the midst of it being pressurized inside, uh, that's going to be very, 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 very bad. Amen? See, the, in the interesting thing about a pressure cooker is it has this valve on top that when you're cooking something, you need to keep it closed. 
because you need to build that pressure up to cook the, the, the food, whatever you're making. Um, but when it's done, you need to relieve the pressure. It needs a relief. Uh, it has a relief valve where you can turn it and it starts to release the steam. And, and once that's done, the little thing goes down, you know that it's safe to open that bad boy up and enjoy your food. Um, but sometimes in life, we as people, we experience a, a pressure cooker state where inside of us, like on the outside, everything seems fine. We're able to put, you know, we know all the right answers at church. I mean, like, yes, Jesus, praise the Lord. Yes. And, and inside, like, hey, how are you? I'm fine. Doing great. Blessed better than I deserve. Whatever. Um, blessed and, and blessed and highly favored. Whatever. Uh, and when it comes time to, like, we're just by ourselves, we realize that inside there is like a pressure cooker and we don't know what to do. Feels like things are going to explode. It feels like we can't handle what's going on inside of us. So we do everything that we can to at least just look fine on the outside. But what is true of a pressure cooker is also true of us. You need a relief valve. Because some of us, we've had the experience of being someone who we didn't, we didn't let the relief valve open. We just opened the lid and we saw what happened. Not healthy not ideal and certainly not a product of good grief see i think for all for all of us we um this is just true you learned how to cope with the things you go through when you were a child you just learned some stuff and brian wasn't taught to you that way you just learned this makes me feel a little bit better when life is not very good right we just Figured out, well, maybe I just, when I'm feeling bad, my parents always said, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't. Yeah. So I guess when I feel bad, I, I shouldn't say anything. And then what do I do? Well, I just keep it inside. I stuff it. When it comes back up, I try to stuff it back down because I don't want it to come out because I don't want to get in trouble. And I also don't know what to do with the things when it comes out. I don't know. Some of us, we learned to stuff. Some of us, we learned to just let that pressure build until one day we've had enough. We ain't going to restrain our mouth and we blow up. Some of us, we, we learned to uh, find that rug that we can brush the stuff under. And we've got that corner in the household of our lives. And we, we know it's there. We didn't stuff it. We just, we just kind of segmented it out. But every now and again, we know it doesn't stay in the corner. It doesn't stay under the rug. It doesn't stay buried deep down inside. And so for some of us, you know, we learn to cope with things. Just a bad day, you know, just, the, just a hard day. We learn to cope. You know, for, for some of us, maybe it's, uh, we learn that we can, we can numb our pain a little bit just from the result of a hard day by just, you know, let's just sit down on that couch and we'll just watch some TV. It'd be mindless. I can, kind of feel a little bit better about my own experience because theirs is worse, right? And it makes us feel a little bit better. And yet at the same time, it doesn't really do anything at all. So what happens when that's your coping mechanism, but then you deal with something that that does not cope through? When that doesn't suffice, what do you do? Well, you may go down another terrible little little route where... Watching Netflix doesn't suffice, so maybe you go to pornography. 
Because that's a little bit more extreme. That makes you feel a little bit more alive for that moment. It feels like a little bit better because the pain that you're experiencing is a little bit over there. And you just feel the rush. Or maybe for some of you, it's not that. It's You get home and it's been a, it's been a long day and you just kind of get into the habit of, you know, just every night. Uh, if I just can have a glass of wine or a half a glass of wine to make myself feel a little bit lower and just calm myself down. What happens when you go through something that is far worse than just a bad day at work? And that that doesn't suffice. That doesn't cover it up enough. It could lead down to a bad path of you trying to cope with things in a far, un, far more unhealthy way. We all learn different ways of coping. And my hunch is, and what I've learned about myself, is that it's sometimes really easy to be 40 years old, 30 years old, 70 years old, 80 years old, and still coping like I was four. And if we don't get honest with ourselves about how we deal with our emotions, then when something hits that's like a tsunami, we'll, be, we'll drown. And so we need relief valves. We need coping mechanisms that can actually bring us to Jesus, that can actually allow us to work through things and not ignore them. Because we live in a culture that just says numb it. Because our chief... Uh, chief value in life in this culture right now is happiness. Now, God's not so much concerned about you being happy. He wants you to become more holy. And so, why, why, why do we get angry when we experience loss? I think it's really deep, um, and it's also really simple. We get angry when we experience loss because loss is not what ought to be. When we experience the loss of a loved one, that's death. It feels off. It feels weird. Can we just be honest? It just feels weird. It doesn't feel right. It, it feels unnatural. Have you ever, you ever thought about that? About how death just feels so off and unnatural? You know why? Because when God created the heavens and the earth and mankind in his own image, we were not meant to experience death. That's not how we were created. We were created with eternity in our hearts. We desire that. That's what we were created to experience. And so when we see death, that angers us because that's not how things ought to be. And whether you believe in Jesus or follow Jesus or not, that is true of you. It still feels off. You still get angry because that's not how things ought to be. And so when we experience the loss of a relationship or the loss of a job, or the loss of hopes and dreams for the future. It's the same kind of thing. Because oftentimes it comes from a place that ought not to be that way. And so it's natural to experience anger. Hear me say that. But also when we experience anger, we need to remember that there are healthy ways to deal with anger and unhealthy ways to deal with anger. Y'all walk away with the hope that when Jesus saw you uh, and all of us in the midst of our sin, experiencing death as a, as a human race, he saw us and loved us enough to come down and attack death. 
And he won. So we have hope beyond this life. That God will renew all things. But we're not living in that full nature yet. We still deal with it, so it's natural to experience anger when we experience loss, because it ought not be that way. So let me just give you some, uh, some, some healthy ways to express your anger. Because whether you call it frustration or anger, or somebody's on your last nerve, whatever you call it, no matter how many Christian cliches you wrap around it, you have to deal with it. So this is, this is some, just four different ways to express healthy, uh, express anger in a healthy way. Number one, these are so simple by the way, but don't write them off because they're simple. Number one, exercise. Anger is one of those emotions where you feel it from very deep in, inside of you. And, and anger usually amps up. Anger usually picks you up and, and it feels like this is why people just just on a, an anger response, they'll throw stuff, they'll hit stuff, they'll, they'll, they'll do stuff like that, be, they'll run into stuff, like just because anger is an emotion that requires a response and it usually requires a heightened response. And so, if you're angry and you're dealing with anger and you're in that stage of grief or you're just angry because of something else, exercise is a great way to get that energy, that angst, out. Because your emotions are not disconnected from your body. We are holistic individuals. We are created holistically by God. You have emotions for a reason. They're not bad, okay? But they do need to be tamed. They do need to be led. And so uh, one of the things that I know is true is that when I'm having a hard time um, and I've been in a season where I'm not going to the gym uh, that I committed two years of my uh, financial life to. And, you know, my wife is reminded every time I don't go that that's coming through, you know. Um, that I need to get there, y'all. I need to get to the gym. I need to be outside and go on a walk. I need to go on a run or something. And one of the things that I love about the gym I go to uh, is that it has a punching bag. It's better for me to hit a bag, right, than somebody. Get somebody. It's it's also true of you that if if you experience difficulty, you experience anger all the time, and you have no way to release that pressure, release that physical energy, it's gonna be a problem because the body keeps count. It doesn't forget, and that can lead to health issues, and it leads to some rough stuff. So exercise. I know. It's crazy, but it's actually helpful. Second thing is journaling. This is so simple. It's, it's been proven that you sitting down and writing about an experience and writing about how you felt in that experience can change some things about you in a good way. Just writing down, okay, this is what has happened. This is what has happened. This is how I feel. And this is what I'm frustrated about. Getting that stuff out rather than holding it in is helpful. Journaling, just writing stuff down. Uh, another thing is prayer, and I've, I'll be talking about this kind of stuff the whole series. Prayer, spending time just talking to God. And you don't have to do the, Lord, thank you so much for this day. I'm so blessed, and it's so amazing, and uh, things are hard, but everyone else, some uh, other people have it harder, so it's fine. Uh, amen. No. Be honest with Him on what you are dealing with, what you are going through. Express that to Him. 
or and talk to a fr- trusted friend, mentor, or a counselor, or all of them, especially someone who's dealt with the kind of loss that you're dealing with, and someone who will point you to Jesus. Granger E. Westbrook said this in his book called Good Grief. When we have something precious taken from us, we inevitably go through a stage when we are very critical of everything and everyone who is related to the loss. We spare no one in our systematic scrutiny of the event, attempting to understand exactly why this thing happened and who is to blame. The human is always looking for someone to blame. I don't have a ton of time to get into the depths of this, but uh, the last 20 months have resulted in some losses in your life and in mine. Just one simple one for me is as a church leader um, at a church I wasn't part of for very long before this thing happened, I grieved um, the loss of the momentum that I felt like God had given us. And all of the exciting things that seem to be happening. And I got angry about it. It wasn't until in the midst of that that I realized, oh, I'm grieving. Huh. And did you notice last year how much people were angry? How you were angry? Did you notice that? Some of you are still really angry. It's because we were, as a society, grieving and as a society not having the tools to grieve very well. And so now we've kind of on the other side of it in some ways. And I think it's just helpful for us to recognize what's going on inside of us as it's going on so that maybe we don't handle things the way we've handled them in the past. Again, um, unhealthy ways we may deal with emotions. We may stuff them. We may avoid them. We may go to passive aggressiveness. Uh, and we may go to violence. Uh, in a small town like this, I've learned that like passive aggressiveness is kind of a thing. I don't, I don't know if y'all knew that, but it really feels like it's a thing here. Uh, and if I have one pet peeve, <laughs> it's that. By the way, uh, bless your heart. That's not healthy. Because y'all know what that means, right? You stupid. Right? That's not healthy. It's not healthy. And neither is going off. It's called assertiveness. And, and it's, it's hard. But if you find yourself being passive aggressive, um, it's not good for you. It's not good for someone else. We usually, we look to anger and as like a really unhealthy version of it is just violence, but passive aggressiveness is just as bad. I just want to go through real quick uh, some toxic versus healthy forms of anger because I found this to be so helpful to just break it down like this because it may give you a little bit healthy or a little bit ways to put words to what you're experiencing. Toxic Forms of anger. I, these aren't going to be on the screen, but number one is bitterness. Bitterness, bitterness, bitterness. Um, and this is what it looks like. Becoming bitter is resigning yourself to your anger or your emotions and convincing yourself that nothing about your life or your emotions can change for the better. 
resigning yourself to the fact that your emotions lead you. The resulting jealousy and resentment may keep you from forming new relationships. Bitterness, y'all, is not a good place to be. Number two, hatred. Hatred. Anger shifts to hatred when you desire that the people who hurt you also experience pain or are paid back for what they've done. There's little room for forgiveness and healing when people hate one another. And the third one is rage. And before you check out, because you've never gone like, you know, go raging and hurting stuff or hurting people, just keep this in mind. Rage is the point when anger causes people to lose control and cause pain to others by harming them verbally, emotionally, or physically. If you've damaged property or valuables or feel as though fights with someone have gotten out of control, it's time to get help with your anger. So those are toxic forms. um, And that's not where God would want you to go. In your anger, do not sin, is what Scripture says. So two quick things. I've already said these, but don't ignore it and find an outlet. That's a healthy form of anger. Don't ignore it. Find an outlet. Again, you could exercise. You could pray. You could meditate. You could journal. Uh, you could talk to a trusted friend, mentor, counselor. You could do all of those. Wink, wink. Hint, hint. Or you could find some creative expression, painting, poetry. Be able to tap into the heart. And get those things out. Here's the thing, y'all. I want you to walk away with this. When you experience loss, it's natural to experience anger. What you do with that anger makes all the difference. When you experience loss, it's natural to experience anger. You need not shower shame upon yourself for experiencing anger. But what you do with that anger makes all the difference. This is what Psalm 119 verse 82 says. My eyes grow weary looking for what you have promised. I ask, when will you comfort me? You ever felt that way toward God? God, you've given me promises. Man, I thought, I thought you were working out all things for the good, for those who love you and are called according to your purposes. Where are you at? This don't feel very good. We need to learn to lament Learn to be honest with God when our honesty leads us to say some really hard things that probably aren't true about God, but that's why we feel about it. And remember, you don't disrespect God. Don't do that. But you can be honest on how you feel. You can be honest with him. He can take it. He's got broad shoulders. And by the way, he already knows it anyway. You're not telling him anything he don't know already. But it's good for you and the relationship between you and him to take those things and draw near. Because when you draw near to him, he will draw near to you. So you may, you may bounce from stage to stage. A lot of times we bounce from stage two to four. Anger to depression, depression to anger, anger. This morning, depression in the afternoon when we're grieving. That's natural. But it's important for us to keep hold of our God throughout it all. Here's, here's my final thing. In response to this, what can you do? Well, obviously look for healthy ways you can cope with your anger when you're in the midst of grief or just angry in general. But also, get honest with God. Get honest with Him about how you feel. She is. 
<laughs> but get honest. There are times that you just need to get honest. You need to get that out and let him know where you are. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for being the God who has broad shoulders, who can take our frustrations, you can take our anger and, and our expression of it, and you do it in such a way that we can know that you love us and that you care for us, that we are called to be um, people who uh, are, are, are people who get lost in your embrace, Lord, that you have your arms open wide when we're hurting, when we're experiencing happiness and joy. God, you are the one who loves us and comforts us through this crazy experience called life. God, when we're angry, when we're frustrated, when we are dealing with loss, would you please help us to draw near to you and not run away from you, to come near to you even when we feel things that make us feel weird about what we feel. That it gets us uncomfortable when we start having those emotions. God, please, we, we're so grateful that you are the one that we can come to, that we can cling to, that we can run to. And that when we do, we find rest in you. We love you, Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast by First Church of Christ in Bluffton, Indiana. For more information, visit FCCFamily.com.